0: Celebrate that one last time as we're wrapping up. We are wrapping up this vision series called Momentum. Welcome those of you online or over in our chapel. Welcome everyone in the room. It's so fun to see the room getting packed again. And uh, yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, Hey, if you're a guest with us, uh, this series is kind of like being in the locker room at halftime. You know those scenes in a movie where the the team, like the game is really close, and the coach goes in there at halftime, and he gives the big pep talk? That's kind of what this whole momentum series is, because we're looking back at the last two years, and we're saying, like, way to go, team. I mean, God is changing lives through you. We're also saying, where do we go from here? We're going to keep doing what we're doing, and we're going to keep giving it our all on the field. So if you're a guest and you're like, man, this series, like these people are wacko, they're weirdos, why are they all cheering and stuff? Well, that's part of it is you're here at a halftime pep talk. Now, if you are a guest, I really want to encourage you, or if you've been thinking of inviting a friend or a loved one, uh, next week and all through the summer. We have messages that are really, really going to meet people where they're at, even if they're just brand new and checking out God. Uh, So make sure you join us next week and beyond. But today, we get to wrap up this Momentum series. And last week, if you were with us, uh, you heard about a family here in our church um, who had made their Greater Things commitment. That was a, a campaign we did two years ago, and they had fulfilled their financial commitment to Greater Things God has blessed them uh, in a lot of ways in their life, and they approached the leadership. We did not approach them. They came to us and said, could we put up a matching donation um, to help motivate other people to experience what we're experiencing? And last week, we shared that that amount that they're putting up is hundreds of thousands of dollars. And if you were here last week, or maybe you hear that this week, and you're like, whoa, why would a person give hundreds of thousands of dollars to a church, or to God, or to Jesus. And if I could zoom out for you, the reality is that that family is one of thousands of people who contribute here every week uh, financially, but also with their time. Uh, Did you know that the lawn here on our property gets mowed by volunteers? We have hundreds of volunteers all throughout the week, volunteers in Kids City right now, uh, being goofy and dancing around with the kids, volunteers changing diapers, volunteers in our middle school and high school services, volunteers running cameras and lights. I mean, there's hundreds of ways people volunteer throughout the week. And you might be in this series with us and just thinking like, why would these weirdo Christians give so much time and money to the work of God and to what Jesus is doing? And to answer that question, I want to tell you a true story that I just heard about. This happened in March. And it involves the safety chains on a trailer hitch. Now, if you're not familiar with this, when someone's pulling a trailer like a camper, uh, it actually is pulled here by the hitch. These are only for an emergency, these safety chains. And the idea is like if someone's going along the highway and this hitch fails, that the chains will hold it on so the trailer doesn't, you know, just cause a a big car pileup. So that's what the safety chains are. Well, here in the month of March in Idaho, a couple was driving. 67-year-old husband lost control of his pickup, hit the side of this bridge, and the pickup went over the side of the bridge. The 30-foot trailer was holding it in place. This is an 80-foot to 100-foot deep gorge or canyon in Idaho. And when the rescuers arrived... Uh, here's what they saw, kind of looking down from the top. Uh, you can see all the stuff that has fallen out of the bed of the truck on the side of the cliff. If you can imagine this husband and wife, 67 and 64, they're buckled in, they're looking down, they're just staring death in the face, dangling. And the only thing that's keeping them from plummeting to their death is in fact the safety chain On the trailer, that's it right there. And then when uh, a tow truck arrived and hooked up more chains, more rescuers came. Ultimately, the husband and wife were rescued, as were their two dogs. So everyone made it out okay. But why do we do what we do with our time and our money as followers of Jesus? The reality is we are, each one of us, links in a life-saving safety chain, if you will, a rescue operation from God to humanity. Now, Jesus is the only real way to eternal life. He's the only ultimate solution to the problems in this life. And as his followers, each one of us is like a link on a chain. And the reality is that from God's perspective, the people that we see on weekends at our kids' sporting games and, uh, and uh, the people that we see in our neighborhoods and in our families, they're all dangling over an eternity. Every one of us will breathe a last breath. And Jesus said that he's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only way to the Father or to heaven. And every single person, they will either spend eternity with God in heaven or separated from God in an eternity where they don't have God's love and light and life. And so when we get that, and when we acknowledge that God has called us to be the chain as a movement of believers, that's what a church is, and as individuals, then we say, well, God, I will use what you've given me, the gifts you've given me, the resources you've given me, so that the chain doesn't break because I was unwilling to do my part. And so, uh, if you grab this link, those of you here in the room with us, there's a, a chain link. And this opens and closes, so you could put this on your keychain or you could put it somewhere else memorable, so that when you see this, you have a visual reminder. This is who I am. I am one link in the chain. I'm not just a person living to gratify myself or fulfill the American dream. I am a link in the chain of the work that God is doing in the world. If you're watching online, text the word vision to us and we'll get you one of these links. Well, how do you be a link in God's chain? First, you've got to believe in Jesus for yourself and receive his gift of salvation. Then you uh, attach yourself To a Bible-believing church. We're not the only Bible-believing church. We're a Bible-believing church with a specific vision. And you find a Bible-believing church where you commit to be consistent. Uh, Because if we're always hopping around everywhere, we're not going to get a lot done. And there's three things that we do to really be a link on the chain. It's true for all of us. The first is to be consistent. Uh, if you go to church kind of like once a month or a few times a year, well, we love you and you're always welcome here. But you're not going to see God radically change you and the people you most love until you get consistent. So that's step one. Be here every weekend. Or uh, if you're traveling for work or traveling for sports or uh, many of you live in places where you can't drive here, you're always welcome to be with us online. But if you can be here in person, do that. And then the next thing is to start serving somewhere. Now, I started serving by actually running one of the video cameras at a church uh, that I was attending. And then eventually I got recruited to be a small group leader. And I served a bunch of different ways until I kind of found my sweet spot, which is teaching the word of God. God has a gift for you in serving as well. And when you text the word serve or go to our connection corner, you can start your serving journey. It might be mowing the lawn, it might be changing light bulbs, it might be in kids' City, it might be being a small group leader. Dozens of ways that fit every personality type from the deepest introvert to the biggest extrovert. Uh, We've got ways to serve that fit you. You start your serving journey, and what does that do? Uh, You become like a thread in this net that saves people. You become... Uh, A link in the chain that's not a broken link, but a connected link. And then the third thing, so you be consistent, you serve. The third is to start your giving journey. And I know for some of you that's intimidating. And if you're not there yet, then start serving. But the reality is everyone I've met, in fact, I just met another couple here between the services. And they told me about their story of when they started giving to God back years ago. And then the husband got a promotion, and then he got another job. It's not uncommon. We don't give to try to get back from God, like he's some genie in a bottle. And God, I'm going to give you $20 a month so you make me a millionaire. That's not the idea. The idea is, God, um, you've called me to be part of your life-saving work in the world, and I want to be all in. Jesus said, where your treasure goes, your heart follows. So we've said multiple times in this series, even if you start with $5 a month or $20 a month, maybe you match your Netflix payment or you match your car payment, something that you say, God, I love you, at least as much as fill in the blank. You start there, but then you be consistent with it. Here's the thing. Everyone I know who has opened the door of their finances to God, when God comes into your finances, um, it's a good thing for your finances. Uh, And so you can do that right now through this matching opportunity that ends May 31st. So last week, we shared the family in our church that started in their 20s with just you know a small amount, but God has blessed them over the years, that the amount they put up that can be matched dollar for dollar is actually $500,000. And I know, again, if you're here and you're new, you're like, that's just crazy, John. How do, how do people have that much money? Why would people give that much money? They have seen that as they seek first God and his work in the world, Um, It blesses them in ways far beyond financial. Um, So if you guys want to celebrate, we're already halfway there. 250,000 of that has already been matched. And what's great about that is most of that is new first-time givers. And if you've never given before, right now if you text the word match, the way this works is if you set up recurring giving, let's say you did $100 a month, That would be 1,200 over 12 months of the year. This family will match the entire 1,200 here in June. So they're kind of like advancing the match for the entire year for you. So really cool opportunity for those of us who are regular givers. We can give an over and above gift by texting the word match, or you could write a check and write the word match in the memo line. Back to our question, why would we do this? Why would we make such sacrifices to reach people for Jesus and to grow people for Jesus, why would we do that? Well, one answer is that we want to be the next link in the chain. Another answer to that question is that Jesus actually commands us to. Now, our salvation is not by giving money or doing good deeds. We get saved by believing in Jesus' work on the cross. It's a free gift. All we have to do is repent and say, God, I need your help in my life. Jesus, I believe you're God, and you died for me. So please don't hear me wrong. Jesus doesn't command you, give money and serve so you can get to heaven. He says, humble yourself and believe in me so you can get to heaven. But then once you believe, you get adopted into the family of God. And just like an infant, God wants you to grow up and mature. And as you mature in following Jesus, you become more like him And you do what he says to do in different areas of your life. And one of the things he said to do is, as followers of Jesus, we're commanded to go and make other followers of Jesus. Here's how Jesus put it in Matthew 28. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. That Greek word nation is where we get our word ethnicity. It's the Greek word ethnois. In other words, every race, every tribe, people of all backgrounds and of all skin types God loves them all. They're all made in his image, and we are called as a movement to together be reaching people, people who look like us and people who don't look like us, people who uh, we easily relate to and people who we don't yet relate to. We're to be loving and reaching all of them for Jesus. After they believe, we baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then Jesus said this, teach these new disciples to obey. That's part of as you grow in Jesus, you're giving him more areas of your life. You start to obey him with your desires, obey him with your time, obey him with your relationships. And that's our calling as followers of Jesus is to make more followers and teach them. Now, no one of us could do that on our own the way that we can when we all work together to do that. So we teach these new believers to obey what Jesus has said. That's a command. So that's actually the shortest answer to the question. Why would we go all in to make disciples? Well, we're commanded to. But with this command comes a promise. Jesus says, as you're doing this, I will be with you always, even to the very end of the age, which that's the future when Jesus will return in the clouds as a judge, not as a little baby, and he will judge the nations and he will rescue those who've believed in him. And the point is this, uh, as you look at scripture with God's presence in your life, God's presence brings success. Without God's presence, failure. And I'm talking spiritually here, right? Even with God's presence, you may still get cancer or have car accidents. We're still going to have battles and difficulties. We looked at that story of God's people being right up to the Jordan River. It was the boundary between them and their promised land. And we saw that they'd have to have bold faith to cross over. And God told Joshua in Joshua 1 verse 6, I will be with you. That's why you know you can defeat the giants. That's why you know you can take the promised land is because I'll be with you. He had said the same thing to Moses in Exodus 33. Moses said, God, unless your presence goes with me, don't send me up from here. So we insist on God's presence in our lives. And you might be here and you might be listening to this series and saying, wow, John, this is great. Lives are changing. It looks like the church is doing a lot of neat things in the world. It's helping people. But you're saying we should have bold faith. How do we know that this vision is actually a vision from God and not just like some weird idea? And if you ever ask that, that's a great question. Because there are preachers, sadly, who will manipulate people and twist people. There have been preachers who have stood up in front of people and said, Hey, I had a vision from God. Uh, He wants me to have a $30 million Learjet. So I need you all to have bold faith, Real, really step out in faith and sacrifice for the Lord so I can have my $30 million Learjet, right? If you hear something like that, I hope you've got a lot of red flags and bells and whistles going off in your mind saying, this is not the Bible, this is not what Jesus said. How do you know when a church or a leader or a movement says, hey, we're stepping out in bold faith, how do you know that God's actually in it? The answer is right here. Jesus said, I am in Anything that is about making disciples and training disciples, that's what I'm in, and that's what I bless. And so that's why our whole mission statement is connecting people to Jesus, training up disciples, because we insist on his presence. And that's this whole momentum series is us saying, we've been all about making disciples. We're going to keep being all about making disciples to three specific groups, our kids and grandkids, Indiana and people beyond our reach in mission fields and online. Well, as Jesus taught this, his first 100 followers or so, they started to do this, and they started to multiply other followers. They didn't have a building when they started. They didn't have land. They didn't have financial resources, but they just loved people, led people to Jesus, baptized them, and the movement started to expand. And as it expanded, eventually it reached this young skeptic named Saul He was an anti-Christian bigot, really. He was like part of arresting Christians and imprisoning them. But Jesus appeared to him, and Saul believed he became Paul the apostle. And he picks up on what Jesus said here in 1 Corinthians 9 about why do we go all in to reach people for Jesus. And he says this, I preach voluntarily. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. John, what in the world does that mean? Well, here's the deal. Every one of us has gifts. So one of my gifts is to teach the word of God. You have gifts that matter just as much. Paul's gift was preaching. And so what Paul's saying is, I am doing my part to be the link in the chain that God designed me to be. And if I do it out of joy... And I do it voluntarily. God, I want to give my life to serve you. There's a reward. Now, Paul's a long-term thinker, and he's going to describe as this chapter goes on that it's actually an eternal reward. You get to heaven by grace through faith, but there actually are tangible rewards in heaven for people who give their lives to the work of God. Then Paul says, on the flip side, I would have to do this even if I wasn't excited about it. It's just what Jesus commands me to do. Now, in his case, that's preaching. Uh, For others, that's, you know, serving in Kid City. It's a a hundred different expressions, thousands of different expressions. Uh, I'll give you a modern example of this. My three kids are elementary age, and it's not uncommon for my uh, lovely wife, Mel, to finally be like, kids, your rooms are disasters. You've got to go clean your rooms. Now, it used to be that when she would say that, sometimes one or two of the kids would ask this question, well, what do I get? What do I get if I clean my room? And I hope I don't sound like a mean person when I say this, but my answer was usually, uh, great question, here's what you get. You get a bed to sleep in, and you get food for your stomach. That's what you get. Because cleaning your room, it's not so much a request, it's a responsibility Like, you get to live in this house. We value that God has entrusted this house to us, and so uh, you get to have a room if you keep it clean. That's kind of what Paul the Apostle is saying here. He's saying, as I've grown in Christ, I've realized, like, I am commanded to be part of a movement that brings other people to Jesus. Now, I can do that grudgingly, like, oh, man, I have to do this, or I can do it voluntarily and joyfully, but either way, I've got to do it, and it's interesting because when my kids, now as they've gotten older, and now they know the answer if they ask, what do we get, they've, they've learned, and they've grown, and very often they'll choose to do it with a good attitude, and they'll kind of hop to it. I'm not saying that's always the case, okay, we're normal people, but there's times where they kind of joyfully do it, and I can hear them in there humming or singing, and they're having a good time, and what is my heart then as a father, it's very often to be like, man, What a great job, you know, like, thank you for honoring us, for honoring this home. And it's not uncommon then to be like, hey, do you want a snack or do you want some extra device time? I want to reward them because they're doing it joyfully. And that's actually what Paul's going to say. If you really study 1 Corinthians 9, uh, which you can do in your life application study Bible, he says, I go all in for Jesus and there's a actual reward for me. But in verse 19, he's going to describe really his um, all-out effort to reach people for Jesus. And here's how he says it. He says, though I'm free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone. Why? To win as many souls as possible. Now, at this time in human history, slavery was a global norm. Uh, Every major world civilization, the Egyptians, the Romans, the Greeks, um, as well as on other continents, had slaves. So about half of the people that Paul knew and led to Jesus were slaves. Paul did not own slaves, nor was he a slave. He was just a free person. And what he says is, I'm not enslaved. I don't have to do this, but I treat the call to reach people for Jesus. I will humble myself to the position Of a slave. I'll do whatever it takes to reach people for Jesus. Then as you read through the chapter, he'll say in verse 20, to the Jewish people, Paul was ethnically Jewish, I'll do anything to reach Jewish people. Then verse 21, he says, to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, I'll do anything to reach them for Jesus. Verse 22, he says, to the weak, I became weak in order to win the weak. I have become all things to all people. So that by all possible means, I might save some. What's he saying here? Really, you could sum it up this way. We do whatever it takes to win souls for Jesus. That's really what Paul's saying in 1 Corinthians 9. He's saying, I've got one life on earth, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get as many people to heaven, to connect as many people to Jesus as possible. So if you grab that chain link, I just want to uh, continue to unpack a few more of these answers, but I want you to hold this for a moment and just just think of this as you. Like this is your lifetime, right? One end of this is whatever your birthday was, is, the day you were born. The other end of this is the end of your life when you will breathe a final breath. And whether your chain link is kind of closed and sturdy and strong or a chain link that breaks is, is really up to you the decisions that you make. And so why do we do whatever it takes to win souls for Jesus? Well, one reason is that if you think of a bunch of links connected, we know Jesus because there were people who did whatever it took to reach us. That's why this building's here. That's why every one of us who believed there was someone who prayed for us or talked to us or preached to us, and we're here because other people did whatever it took. But we also do whatever it takes because that's what God did. John 3, 16, God so loved The world, the people of the world, that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. So I think of my one and only son. And I mean, I love people, but I don't know that I would give up my son physically to save the life of anyone. My own life, sure. But my son, God gave his son. He did whatever it took to reach you. So that's another reason why we do whatever it takes. There's also the reason of eternal life, that Jesus taught that eternity is real, that he's the only way to the Father. And so when we believe that, we're motivated with a love for the people around us. Also, when we understand eternity, we understand that there are rewards. When we get to heaven, there will be a reward for um, the ways we've served and given to reach others. And then the next link of the chain, we love people. When we really see people the way God does, and he changes our hearts so we love people, we realize, I want to be part of a movement that is reaching people for Jesus. Did you know that every year in the United States, between 6,000 and 10,000 churches close down, shut down, go out of business? Here's one of them. This was First Evangelical Lutheran Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Empty building now. Uh, in fact, kind of ironically, um, commercial real estate, and it got bought by a person who owns a bunch of nightclubs. So the right half is going to become a nightclub, and the left half will become a bar. And you might look at that, and you think of the people years and years ago who gave, and you think, how did that happen? How did a church where there was once, you know, it was once full on Sundays and had Sunday school classes, how is it empty and completely dead? And the answer is that, all it took was one generation that where the chain broke. Just like that truck hanging over that bridge, it just takes one link to break, and the whole thing goes down. And so what we're saying in Momentum is we're going to be a generation in the history of this church and this movement where the chain doesn't break on our watch. And I love the contrast of this because up in my office, I've got this plate from 1952. Uh, This is from Brownsburg Christian Church, which is what this church used to be called. In 1952, they did a building campaign, and everyone who gave sacrificially to build that brick building got one of these china plates. And on the back of the china plate, it kind of gives some of the history of the church. I just want you to contrast in your mind that church that is an empty building. There's nothing there spiritually versus this. What we have in this room, what we have online, what we have with the next generation, what is the difference? Every generation in our church has been the link that they were called to be. None have been perfect. We won't be perfect either, but they've been faithful. And so what we're saying in this series is we'll be faithful. We're here because other people did whatever it took to reach us, and that's the next vision card. It's on your chair, and if you're watching online, you can text the word VISION. These are kind of flags that we're putting in the ground during this momentum series. And this one says very simply, when we follow Jesus, we carry his urgency to reach the lost with God's good news. And so for this reason, we do things that we've never done before to reach people we've never reached before. We're here because there were generations of believers before us who were willing to change things that were even uncomfortable for them So they could actually connect people to Jesus. Jesus' message and the truth of God's word, they never change. Culture around us is always changing. And so we're always saying, what do we need to do new or different to reach people for Jesus now? And that's really what Paul's saying here in 1 Corinthians 9. Verse 23, he says, I do all this. It's like with Jewish people, I connect them to Jesus. Gentiles, I connect them to Jesus. I'll act like a slave. I'll be around the weak. I'll whatever I can do to reach people for Jesus. He says I do all this for the sake of the gospel. What's the gospel? It is the good news that the one true God of the universe who created you from eternity past, he saw you struggling. He saw that sin separates you from heaven, and he chose to come into our world in the person of Jesus. He willingly died on the cross for you so that you can have eternal life. And the good news is you receive that as a free gift if you will humble yourself and repent and believe. That's the good news. And Paul says, I do all these sacrifices of my time, my money, my emotions. I sacrifice these things for the gospel that I may share in its blessings. There's two dimensions to this. The one is in this life, the blessings. Uh, Before uh, the 915 service, I was backstage and there's a guy back there named Bob Lemon. Bob and Pat Lemon have been just faithful behind the scenes servants in this church for like decades. And it was so cool because I had seen them last night. They were here with one of our guys in his 20s who's recovering from an addiction, and he's at one of the local addiction centers. And they were here serving, and then they're giving him a ride home, and then they're here again this morning serving. Uh, Here's what I know. Every vibrant church that is growing has hundreds of Bob and Pat Lemons behind the scenes. Those are the true links of the stage. I mean, what you see up here on the stage should be the presentation of God's word and his heart to unify the movement. But the real strength of the movement is all the links of the chain working together. And when you do that, like Bob and Pat Lemon have, it it blesses you in this life. There's just a blessing of seeing people change and seeing people who are suicidal find hope and people who are addicted be healed and marriages that were fracturing be restored. There's a blessing with that. But Paul's going to continue, and he says, beyond the blessings of this life, there's reward in heaven. He says in verse 24, don't you know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize. So uh, they had races like Olympic races. Now, in our case, three get prizes, right? We usually have first, second, and third. But Paul's point is this. The moment that you believed in Jesus, you got entered into a race. You might not realize it, but you got a little number on you, and you're like one of the marathon runners. And I'm sorry if no one told you this before, but you are in the race. And I guess the question is this, are you running the race? Paul says, uh, by the way, what's the finish line? The finish line is when you breathe your last breath on earth and you wake up in heaven. You'll, You'll cross that finish line. And Jesus himself will be waiting on the other side. And the goal is to run in such a way that when you collapse over that finish line, he picks you up and you're in your glorified body. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. And and you know what the dream is, is that thousands of people crowd around you and they're like, we're here because of you. And and there's going to be people you never met and even knew about, but because you gave faithfully and you served faithfully, they're there in heaven because of you. That's the idea of running the race. And so the question as a follower of Jesus is this, are you running in the race? Are you walking in the race? Are you maybe like one of those four-year-olds in t-ball who's sitting in the outfield picking dandelions (laughs) and you're just like sitting on the racetrack, right? That's a lot of Christians, really. They're going to cross the finish line and they're going to be in heaven because of what Jesus did, but they're going to look back and be like, oh my goodness. I didn't even realize it was a race. I was just living the American dream. Nothing wrong with the American dream, but God's got a much bigger dream for your life. And so Paul says this, run in such a way as to win. Run all out to reach people for Jesus. Verse 25, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. We see this with our awesome high school athletes, and I love how athletic our community is. I love cheering on all our different athletes. And I love seeing our young people learn to train diligently because that character, that work ethic, the teamwork, those things will go with them for the rest of their life. What probably won't go with them for the rest of their life is the medals and the trophies and even the scholarships. Those are good things, but they're not eternal things. I'm not minimizing athletics at all. I love—I still train athletically. I, I love doing that. But... 200 years from now, how in shape I am or what medals I won in high school won't really matter. But what I've done spiritually will. And so what Paul says here is just like you see a really devoted, you know, most of our neighborhoods, right? We've got at least a few high schoolers who run cross country or some other sport. And you you see them out there in the winter. They're running. They're running year round. Paul says just like you see an athlete train, train yourself spiritually. And he says, do it because there's a reward in heaven, a crown that will last forever. Now, you can go way deeper into that in your life application study Bible. I just want to introduce you to the idea. We make disciples because we're commanded to, because lives are at stake, because others did it for us. But there is also a reward in heaven. You can study that more in your life application study Bible. So how are we doing this together as a church? How are we making disciples? God has called us to three specific people groups. The first is our kids and grandkids. And that's why we say we are called to raise the strongest generation spiritually. The second group God has called us to is geographic. It's Indiana, central Indiana, that we will maximize and multiply disciples or followers of Jesus right here where we live. And then the third group are people that we probably won't see until we get to heaven. Some of these people live in Kenya, in Guatemala. Some of them live in Paraguay. Some of them live in Florida and Idaho and in California, but they're people that as we pool our resources and we support missionaries and what we're doing online, we are also making disciples far beyond central Indiana. Let me give you a little snapshot of this. Here's a few of our 26 missionaries. Did you know that every year with what we pool together here, we send out of our doors over a million dollars every year through missions and outreach to reach other people for Jesus. Part of that is these 26 missionaries that we have who live in places where you and I probably wouldn't know what to do, but they've learned the culture, they've learned the language, and they wake up every day funded and healthy and able to make disciples there because of your faithfulness here. So a few of these would be Miss Pearl, who serves in deep inner city Chicago. In the kind of rough area where you hear of a lot of shootings in Chicago, and Miss Pearl ministers to young teenage moms who become pregnant, and most of the counselors in their schools and in the social structure there would tell them, you need to have an abortion if you want to have a good life. And Miss Pearl comes alongside them and says, you can have this baby and have a great life. And not only is she then running a daycare for all those children, but she's following through on that and giving great education and educational resources to these young, these young moms. She's been doing this for decades and has changed thousands of people's lives. She gets to do that every day financially because of your faithfulness in supporting her. Same with Neely, who grew up here, one of our kiddos who grew up here, who loves the Lord, who's now a missionary in Guatemala. Same is true for Zach and Haley Baker, who grew up here. We sent them off in January to be missionaries in the Balkans. Robbie, who we sent off in December, who is serving refugees from the war in Syria. These are Muslim refugees. Uh, Many of them are women, who were taught from the time they were born, you're the property of your dad or the property of your husband. You can never have your head uncovered. Um, God tells you these things, and it's God's law. And then they've seen this God that they've heard of called Allah, and they've seen in his name their kids taken away as slaves in this you know, horrific war that's happening in Syria. They get out as refugees. They go to Greece to these migrant camps, and Rabi is there. And Robbie is there to be able to say, there's a God who's compassionate and slow to anger. There's a God who says you're dignified and made in his image. There's a God who loves you enough that you don't have to bow down and pray in different ways and submit to some man and be his slave. You can actually just call out to him and experience salvation and become a daughter of the king or a son of the king. I don't get to do that every day. Robbie gets to do that every day. And it's because we're supporting him that he does. Can we just celebrate that we get, to, we get to join God in that? 26 partners in 20 places around the world. How are we able to do this? It's because we pool our resources together by giving and serving. So next vision document, if you want to pull this off your seat, this is the, the final one, this final week. We've got one for each of these three pillars, Raise the Strongest Generation, Maximize and Multiply here in Indiana, and then third, Amplify Jesus Online. In 2019, we invested in a God-given vision to build our digital ministry, and really the thought was it would be a new expression of missions. We're going to reach new people, and that has happened, but then COVID-19 hit, and those online tools ended up becoming the lifeblood that kept our church connected. Uh, Just here, after the last service, I met a family that started watching at the beginning of the pandemic. They've got three young boys. Uh, They do the Daily Hope devotional every day. They've been with us online every weekend. They started in March of last year, uh, and now, just for two weeks, they've been able to be with us in person. So uh, not only have we reached new people, but we've sustained a lot of believers. We remain committed to our online presence. Um, American life has largely shifted online. We do banking on our phones in ways we never imagined. We do our grocery shopping on our phones. And so we've learned that these outreach tools have become daily lifelines in central Indiana. And we never want our digital tools to be an excuse to not gather physically. Um, But we've got a lot of people who can't gather physically. They live far away or they're traveling for work or they're traveling for sports. Um, And so online allows them to stay fully engaged, not only on the weekends, but seven days a week with our Daily Hope devotional. We'll also continue to shepherd our online Jesus followers in Florida, Idaho, all around the U.S. and the world. Our digital team will keep pioneering new ways for you to grow in Jesus on your phone and in the rhythms of your weekly schedule. But amplifying Jesus online and globally also means we'll continue supporting these 26 missionaries who physically live and serve in other countries. Even as we learn to amplify Jesus online, we remain fully committed to financially supporting our traditional missionaries globally. Uh, These ministries, both online and missions, they reach the lost and change the world. But here's what else we've seen. They benefit our own people. Uh, From life-changing short-term mission trips, Neely, Zach and Haley, Robbie, all three of those, or four of those young missionaries we've sent out, it started with a short-term mission trip here at Connection Point. And in the same way, our digital tools are helping our people follow Jesus one day at a time. So we're going to always strive to better accomplish our unchanging mission. Why? Because people beyond our reach need Jesus more than ever. Uh, Very quickly, Paul says in Romans 10, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, that's Jesus, will be saved. But how can they call on Jesus to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in Jesus if they've never heard about him? Right? That, that woman I described from, a Syri- you know, from war-torn Syria. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just Google civil war in Syria and you'll see it's horrific. He's it horrific. And these people have never been told about Jesus. They don't even know about him. How are they going to call out to him to save them if they don't even know about him? And how are they going to hear about him unless someone goes to tell them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? So that's why that's at the core of our vision. We are missionaries, so to speak, in central Indiana, making disciples here. But we're also sending missionaries to parts of the world where you and I couldn't do ministry. And we're also sending out the word of God online. Let me give you some visuals of what God has done these last two years online. Uh, Amy from Ohio uh, was someone who was very wounded by church and wasn't sure if she even believed in God. Uh, But her friend Kim attends here and Kim invited Amy to start watching online Amy ended up believing in Jesus. She drove here to get baptized. She still drives here about once a month to worship in person. And the other weeks she joins us online. This has been over two years now that Amy is continuing to grow as a disciple of Jesus through our online ministry. Josh the barista, you may see him at Starbucks next time you get a coffee. uh, Josh has a vision impairment issue. And so he was not able to drive, and when we started our online ministry, it was the first time he was able to regularly be part of a church. He's now regularly part of our church. Cecily in Florida, there's a whole story there. Haley in Los Angeles, whole story there. Catherine from Terre Haute. Uh, when COVID hit, Catherine's rural church shut down, and they had no online presence. And so her daughter said, hey, start watching Connection Point online. Catherine's now part of our online family out in Terre Haute. We've really spread all around rural central Indiana. Bo and Stephanie, you guys heard their story week one of this series. Bo and Stephanie, physical attenders, servers, givers. But when COVID hit, um, Bo owns a business that was shut down. Stephanie's in the National Guard and got deployed. So all of a sudden, you know, financial craziness. Mom's not home anymore. Dad's trying to figure out how to keep the business going. Our online services and tools Kept them together as a family by their own account. And they're just one example of how God used you guys, not only to reach the lost, but to sustain and hold together the reach. Can we, can we just celebrate for a moment? This is just a few. We, we do all this because we love people, because God loves people. Here's a map of the U.S. that shows um, where we're connecting to people. Um, some of these dots are daily hope subscribers with our daily devotional. These hot spots are where there's a bunch of people watching our weekend services regularly. I asked our design team. I said, "What if we did this like more? Like it looks like there's a storm, and wherever there's people connecting to God, it's like beams of light." And here's what they came up with. I was like, yes, isn't that awesome? Like I want that on a poster. That's what we're. That's what we're doing. Jesus is the light. But we're being faithful to be the links in the chain that we're called to be. We do whatever it takes to win souls for Jesus. Grab your link, and I just want you to to be thinking as you watch this next video, you know, um, God, am I willing to be the link in the human chain that you want me to be? And as you think about that, I want to show you kind of a visceral story of what it is to be a human chain that saves a life. Go ahead and take a look. It's extraordinary video, as complete strangers band together
1: into a human chain to come to the rescue of a family caught in a riptide.
0: The water, when it starts going around, there's nothing that can save you.
1: 80, yes, 80 beachgoers rushed into the water and joined hands when they heard the cries for help. It happened on a beautiful beach day in Panama City, Florida, on the Gulf Coast. A young mother of four was enjoying a day at the beach when she saw two of her boys out in the water screaming for help. They were caught in a deadly riptide. Mom bravely swam to the rescue, but she got caught in the riptide as well. So did the boy's grandmother. Others tried to help. Altogether, nine people were in danger of drowning. The chain started in very shallow water close to shore. It went on for 300 feet in water about 15 feet deep. Jessica Simmons was having dinner on the beach when she heard the cries.
0: I was like, I can help these people. I grabbed a, a man's hand, another man, I don't even know who they were, <laughs> and I grabbed their hands and just pulled to pull the last girl in.
1: You can see someone exhausted being carried out of the water. Bystanders on the beach erupted in cheers when the last person was rescued. Once safely on shore, she collapsed on the beach. <laughs> Among those rescued was eight year old Stephen Ursi and his mom, Roberta.
0: We got caught in the current and, well, our mom had to go in after me and my brother, and the people made a human chain and pulled us out. As a mama, I'm supposed to be able to protect them and do everything, and I couldn't do it that day. I had to have
1: help. The boy's grandmother suffered a heart attack during the ordeal and is still in the intensive care unit. The whole family is forever thankful to all those strangers who formed a human chain that saved their lives.
0: Had we not done what we did, they would have drowned. Yeah, I love that visual. Because, you know, spiritually, that's, that's what we're doing. In fact, uh, yesterday at my son's soccer game, I got flagged down by a guy. His name's Doug. And he said, I just want to tell you and thank you for the church. He said that he and his wife started attending here two years ago. They were not churchgoers. And they were caught in an undercurrent uh, that was destroying their marriage and uh, was just pulling them out. And and we know this for our neighbors. So many of them are caught in different undercurrents. And he more or less described how this church has been a spiritual human chain that reached them and has pulled them in. They're now in a small group uh, where they were on the verge of a divorce. God's now the center of their marriage. Uh, He's a police officer, and it's been a very difficult year, as you can imagine, uh, for police officers. And he said, Man, if it wasn't for the church, I just don't know if we would have made it. I thought, Thank you, Lord, for doing that work in this family. But also, thank you that he pulled me aside and told me that, you know, it was like two years to the month. Because really, it was two years ago that we were saying, Let's go all in for Jesus. And I just, I know that God's got a whole other batch of Doug's, a whole other batch of families that will be saved from the undercurrents of life as we continue just being a spiritual human chain. So very quickly, I want to inspire you with where we've come from because we are here because of the links in the chain before us. Now, this chain would technically go all the way back to Jesus dying on the cross and believers going down through the generations, but in Indiana... Our chain starts in 1837. There were 23 believers. You know, think about this. They didn't have tractors. I mean, they're like manual farmers here meeting in homes. And they saved up their money. And by 1840, they built a log church building on Main Street. Uh, Those believers then kept worshiping all through the Civil War when a lot of the husbands and sons went off to fight for the Union to help end slavery. By 1924, the church decided to change its name. It had been called Church of God in Christ, changed its name to Brownsburg Christian Church at that time. Uh, The church did not close during the Great Depression. And think about that, the financial hardship of the Great Depression. There's people who will meet in heaven who are watching down right now who kept tithing during the Great Depression. Incredible. 1952, the church was up to 600 members, 20 Sunday school classes. That was the discipleship model at that time. By the 1980s, the church had kind of declined from there. And it had gotten so bad that there were weeks when the payroll to do paychecks for the church employees, that checking account wouldn't have enough money in it. And there were volunteers from the church who would, out of their own funds, advance the church money so that the staff could actually get paid. And it was in that season that the church recruited a young spiritual stud of a man named Steve Reeves. And Steve Reeves, yeah, praise God for him. Steve Reeves gave his life, and he came here, and he said, I'm going to go all in to make disciples. And he taught that church to love one another and to be the light of Jesus in this community. And it grew, and eventually maxed out where Town Hall is today, when you drive down and you see Town Hall and the police station, that building used to belong to this church, and that building got maxed out. And the church sold the building to the town because Steve Reeves had this field of dreams vision. We're going to buy this huge cornfield on State Route 267, and we're going to build a building for a church four times our size, and we're going to trust that is, with bold faith, As we cross that Jordan River, God's going to fill that building up, and that's the building that we sit in today. 2000, the church changed the location to here, and it also changed the model. I mean, you talk about we do things we've never done before to reach people we've never reached before. A church that had done Sunday school classes, that's how we do discipleship for 100 years, said we're going to now do small groups because we believe God's going to grow us into the thousands, and small groups is a more sustainable model for that. The year 2006, by faith, the church changed its name to Brown, from Brownsburg Christian Church to Connection Point. 2013, another faith vision, let's build Kid City and Student Center, the world-class facilities that we have here, are because people gave, people served, people were the link in the chain at that time. 2017, when Steve Reeves retired, and surely many people felt like what would Connection Point be without him? God Provided, but God used thousands of links in the chain to say, we'll stay faithful in giving and serving uh, as this young, nerdy weirdo takes over. (laughs) Thanks, Thank you guys for staying faithful. It wouldn't work without a bunch of faithful people. 2019, we stepped out and we said, a lot of you said, I don't understand digital, but we trust you and the elders and we're just going to be faithful. Little did we know a year later COVID would happen. So here we are. 2021 momentum is just us saying, we're just gonna, the vision is the same. We're gonna keep making disciples of the next generation here around the world. We're gonna stay faithful. And that link is open intentionally because it's really up to us. Like it's a decision every year for a church. Are we gonna keep doing what we're doing? And I know you guys are and you have been. And I just wanna close this series by encouraging you. These last two years on our watch, the life-saving chain has expanded. Not only have we, you know, survived, but it has expanded in Indiana and in the nation and in the world. And I believe it will continue to each month of our lifetimes. In fact, when I kneel at my bedside and pray every night, by the way, God, you don't have to kneel at your bedside. It's just a weird thing I do. I like doing that before I go to bed. And I pray for this church every night. And I really believe that as we stay faithful Um, that we're going to see buildings like this one is full, dozens of them. I I really believe. I know that sounds crazy. I'm not saying it'll happen tomorrow. But I think what God's doing online, I I believe someday we're going to be looking down from heaven, and our kids and grandkids will not only have survived as Christians, but they're going to be thriving, and they're going to be outdoing us in their radical faith for Jesus, in their extreme giving of their lives for him. I fully believe that. I know God's going to do What he wants to do through us as we just say, we will do whatever it takes to win souls for Jesus because we're the next link in the chain. So one last time, if you'd hold that link, and I just want to ask you through those three things, being consistent, starting to serve somewhere, starting to give something. Uh, Which one is God saying? If you really want to be the link in the chain that I've called you to be, you need to start Be inconsistent, or start serving somewhere, or giving something. You heard in that story of the human chain, a lot of the people were in the shallow water, but as it got out deeper to where it was 15 feet deep, those people, it was just the arms of the people next to them that kept them from also getting caught in the current. And here's the thing, you start serving in the shallow water. Start giving in the shallow water. But some of you have been serving or giving there, and God's saying, hey, go out a little deeper, because there's thousands of these families caught in this riptide. There's thousands of people who need rescue. We've got this amazing spiritual human chain. We want you to be part of it. We want you to do your part in it. So let me just pray that over you right now. Father, in this place, we just, um, we wanna have a moment with you. And really, Lord, it's a moment of obedience. We'll no longer be infants in your house. We're gonna clean our room. Each one of us will take an ownership to say, I am called to make disciples. My gift might not be preaching, but I'll change diapers, or I'll run a video camera, or I will greet, or I will be a small group leader. I'm gonna gonna be the link that I'm supposed to be in this life-saving human chain. God, I just pray that by your spirit, you would impress on each of our hearts what it looks like to be part of this with consistency, with serving, and with giving. And God, we praise you for this family that put up this extraordinary amount of of money to be matched so we can use it to make disciples. And I would just pray that by May 31st, when this match closes, uh, that it will be fully matched, uh, that every dollar of it, it will be matched. Just show each of us what we're to do in that. God, right now, we just have this moment with you. We're gonna worship you. And we just thank you that you've saved us and we join ourselves together to save others for you by any means possible. We will do whatever it takes to win souls for Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.